This is Jackie Tantillo, host of Should Have Listened to My Mother. Thanks for listening. Each episode of Should Have Listened to My Mother, I share incredible stories of the mothers of the world and the roles they've played. My good friend, Christopher Nomura, who was featured on my first episode of my podcast, has wanted me to interview today's guest for some time. I'd like to welcome a very special woman whose family was fortunate enough to escape Vienna, Austria, shortly after Germany marched in in 1938. My guest worked as a lecturer in the German Studies Department, as well as a voice teacher in the Music Department at Boston College for over 20 years. She got her master's at the New England Conservatory of Music, and she was also a director of an opera workshop for 12 years in addition to teaching voice. It's an honor to welcome Hani Myers to Should Have Listened to My Mother. Thank you very much. It really is an honor for so, so many reasons. There's a bunch of different aspects of this incredible story, and Christopherin was kind enough to lend me this book that you were involved in because it's about your life story. It's called My Two Cities by Robin Mayer Stein. And obviously you had a big hand in it as well. You were eight years old when your life changed in Vienna? Oh, yes, yes. Well, uh, it's a book. The book, My Two Cities, is really intended for children. It's a children's book in verse. And so we try very hard not to make it scary. So when uh, Hitler, when we talked about the Hitler period, just said that there was a war coming and that's why we had to leave. But that was not really the reason we had to leave at that point. So yes, that is an important fact to distinguish the war hadn't actually begun, but the Germans had arrived in Austria. And the book is not scary because, yes, it is a book for children, and it's a good one, and it's an educational read, in it. and thank you for clarifying. So how about if we begin with your mom's name and a little bit about your childhood in Vienna? So my family, with my mother, whom we called Mutti, and my father, Papa, my sister Susie, and we lived uh, in an apartment house in the 4th District, Indiana. I think my parents were probably pretty well off. My father was a physician. Mother um, didn't, did not work. Um, but, uh, you know, we had quite a few servants and so on. So um, my mother at that point was helping my father by sterilizing the uh, some of his instruments in his office. The office was at home. And she also, I remember she visited a lot of old ladies, and um, she was very good. She was a very loving mother, but we also had a nanny and we had a cook, and I don't know how much time she spent with us. Um when Hitler came in, then, of course, everything changed quite suddenly, and uh, my father could no longer work, and we couldn't go to school, and Jews were not allowed to sit on the benches in the park, and uh, my mother uh, my mother always wore an apron when she went out because she was afraid that she might be called to scrub the sidewalk, which... Uh, uh, was one of the things that the Nazis did the, were the old um, symbols of the Austrian government because there had been a referendum um, 
whether Austria wanted to join Germany. And that referendum was canceled in the last minute, but there were the symbols of the Austrian uh, uh, nation on the sidewalks painted in oil, and the Jewish women were told to scrub that off with toothbrushes and water. So, however, my mother, although she wore an apron, she was not required to do it because uh, in the neighborhood, most of the people were my father's patients, and they loved him, and she was the doctor's wife, so she didn't have to do that. It gave them a, a status, a social status, being the doctor and the doctor's wife. Yes, yes. Um, I think the amazing thing about her was that when we did uh, immigrate in Boston, she made such an adjustment. She had never done housework before, uh, and she never complained. She she did the housework. In fact, one of the landladies asked, why, why are you cleaning so much? Because she would take the sheets, you know, and hang them out the window to air them and do all those things that were done in Vienna. Um, she also worked in something called Kleiderkammer, which was a, a clothing exchange, which had been set up in one of the synagogues, so that um, it was mostly kids' clothes. So when you out, when the children outwore their clothes, it, um, other people could pick those up. And the, this clothing exchange, I think it lasted for about 10 years. Yeah, I think that was pretty amazing. My mother in Vienna, uh, before I was born, had taught piano. And I learned the piano, I started piano when I was five. And she certainly had a strong influence on my uh, musical love of music, and she would sit by me when I practiced and tell me to count. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, even when it came to America and I took piano lessons, she was there. Can you share the significance of your musical background? It's a major part of your life, this musical yes. expertise of yours. That's true. And I remember... Um, that my mother used to accompany me when I sang, and that was, my father enjoyed that. He, my father really enjoyed music, although he was kind of, he really couldn't play. You and your mom developed quite a relationship by then. Uh, well, the closeness with my mother lasted for a long time. Um, I spent a year in Italy after college, studying sculpture at the Accademia di Belle Arti in Florence. And this was before the days of uh, email or cell phone or any of those things. And so a letter, my letter would take a week on the ship. And if my mother answered right away, it would be another week. So it was a two-week turnaround. But I wrote very extensive letters to my mother. And she actually typed those up so that I have a very nice diary of my uh, year in Florence. You still um, have the letters? I, I, I still have the... I haven't looked at it for a while, but it's in a photograph album. Oh, that's I, wonderful. Mm -hmm, I'll have to take that out and look at it. Uh, 
So Muti, Muti was a very good person. I think she was very kind. Her um, horizon was somewhat limited, I think, you know, to her friends and her family. But um, she, she did a lot of good things. I think the problem with her came after I got married because it was very hard for her to adjust to the fact that I was no longer going to be her confidant. And so, you know, I had to tell her off a few times, tell her that was none of her business. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm, in that, now I'm sorry, you know, that it wasn't kind of, but, um, uh, yeah. She, it's okay. We're all yeah, human. I guess so. So during, and the other thing, I remember not being very kind to her when my first child was born, Kathy, I didn't want her to come and help me because I wanted to be independent, you know, and not, and she, I mean, she always wanted to help. And I said, I'm fine, you know, I don't need you. And I think that was hard for her. Was she constantly on you to practice your music? Was she overbearing? Um, no, I don't think she was overbearing. I think she was more supportive, you know. Okay. Um, no, she wasn't overbearing. Uh, but, you know, when I was little, I can't, I mean, my my memories are more the memories with my nanny rather mm-hmm. than with her. So I don't know what she, I, don't, I really don't know what she did all day in the end, except help my father, and I don't know. Did she go to school? Did she go to college? Oh, she dropped out, I think, after her first year. She was studying chemistry, but that wasn't really her thing. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think she finished college. Let's see, trying to think. My father's friend, Uncle Eric, was my mother's brother. That's how they met, and they were engaged for a long time because my father's father said that they couldn't get married until he, until my father finished medical school and could stand on his own feet. Very responsible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I bet your mom wanted to marry him sooner. Yes, so that was a long wait. Thank you. <laughs> yes. And in those days, you know, you had to remain a virgin before you got married. Oh, so you mean so, that's not um, only that's not only in the Catholic faith, but it's also in the Jewish faith? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that brings me to the question of the religion. I mean, obviously, I'm Jewish, but my parents were not observant. We really we didn't go to temple except for the high holidays, and we were not kosher. We were not. My father. The only thing I remember is that after. Hitler came in on that last Passover um, in April 1938. Uh, the blackout curtains were drawn, and my father decided we were going to have a Seder. And he didn't know any Hebrew, but we did something, I remember. And at the end, I think it says something like, next year in Jerusalem, but he said next year in America. So I remember that. And when we came here, my father said, well, now we've been persecuted for being Jews, and now we need to stand up and be counted. And so he joined a a reform temple, 
Temple Sinai, and I did have to go to a Sunday school for a year and totally hated it because, I mean, I didn't speak English and not very bad. So uh, coming here to this country, and that's what really the little book, The Two Cities, also is about. Uh, I came here eight and a half. I didn't speak any English. I had had two years of grade school in Vienna, and when I came to the public school here, the Harriet E. Baldwin School, which is still standing, uh, the teachers had no concept at all of a child that didn't speak the language. So they just spoke louder. They, they, you know, <laughs> and, 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 then they, and, and they put me in the fourth grade. So I never was in the third, which didn't make that much difference because um, I couldn't understand anything anyway. <laughs> uh, but I graduated high school when I was barely 17. Mm. Uh, yeah, so, uh, so let's see, so after we came, no, I mean, then, then there was no nanny, right, after we came, and, yeah, I, was, I guess I was pretty close to my mother, I mean, you know, we would tell her about our dates that we had when we went out with boys, and I think that was so hard for her when I got married, that she still wanted to know all the details. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it was you and your older sister. Maybe your mom was lonely. Yeah. There's so much to tell of this story. Your your father was very smart. When Germany came initially to Vienna, he started immediately pretty much, didn't he, trying to get papers to allow him yes. to get a job in the, in the United States because he knew it was time to get out. Yes, he was the one that really enabled us to get out, although there was also a bit of good luck because my father was born in Trieste, which before World War One was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And uh, when he went to the consulate, they asked him where he was born, and they put him down as Italian. So we were on the Italian quota, which was not filled. Had we been on the Austrian-German quota, we would not have gotten out. So it always makes me wonder whether the clerk did that on purpose or out of ignorance. But in any case, it was a lucky thing. Maybe he winked to your father and said, you're Italian, right? Yeah, he let it it go at that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. There were not that many Jews in Italy, you know, and so that quota wasn't filled. Oh, Um, my gosh. Your father was very, very smart. And that's one of the great things about the book, My Two Cities. The information is in there, but it's written well enough for young children, young kids to understand. But you really told the story of what it's like being an immigrant and the significance of America, of diversity. And that's what we're built on. And it's really important for the younger generations to understand. Right, right. I think, you know, when we came, I mean, my parents wanted to assimilate, you know, to take the best of America, but to still retain the culture of the old country. So we used, we continue to speak German. And, of course, you know, a lot of, not to mention the music, you know, and the literature and all that. So uh, I think a lot of immigrants that come now kind of stay in their own little uh, enclave, which is comforting, 
but many don't don't learn English, and um, I don't know. I feel as if one should do both. You they know? don't assimilate. Yes, and of course, right, right now at this moment, it's hard to know what is so great about America. It but is. when I came, we we felt that way. My father loved President Roosevelt and everything about, but. My parents also had American friends. They didn't just stay with fellow Austrian emigres. Your mom's family, were they left in Europe? Okay. So my mother's mother, my grandmother, whom we called Moni, she came with us. What happened in Vienna was she lived around the corner from us, but then she got very frightened because there were house searches, you know, and so... And soldiers came to do house searches, and so she moved in with us, and then she came here with us. But my grandmother lived to be 103, and when we came here, she went to evening school for 10 years to learn English, learn American history, and the Constitution. Well, my grandmother was quite a powerful person. And, I mean, for instance, she didn't allow my mother in the kitchen. She did the cooking. Oh, that's what the problem was. (laughs) Yes. So my my mother was not a great cook. Uh, But, um, yeah, I think that one thing that happened after marriage, you know, when we kind of drew apart, was my father... My father was a real intellectual, and it was interesting to talk to him. And so my husband, Stan, and I, when we went to visit, I mean, I would say hello to my mother, but then we drifted over to my father mm. to talk with him. And, um, well, this I'm, you know, a little sorry about. The interesting thing is, after my father died, and, um, I mean, I, I did, I mean, call my mother every day, and, and she didn't live that far away. My mother was always so grateful. She mm. said, "She said that you, she said that I and my sister and I were, were such good daughters, you know." And she was always so grateful. And we didn't really feel as if we loved her enough. We we, we did it out of duty. I had a conversation with my mother. After my father died, I thought, okay, now I'm going to have a good conversation with my mother, you know. And we sat in the kitchen, and I, at one point I asked her, why do you think that I always have to live up to my older sister, Susie, who was three and a half years older? And her answer was, well, after all, she was president of her class at Radcliffe, and she was at Harvard Medical School, and she's a doctor. It wasn't exactly the answer I wanted, you know. She didn't really have much psychological insight. Your mom also was busy, and we haven't spoken about this, because your dad worked tirelessly trying to help family members and friends get out of Austria. Oh, yes. Okay, that's a good point. So there were (laughs) many, many families that uh, he was able to get the correct affidavits for, and I'm sure you can tell the story better. But your mom also helped, right? She wrote... Yes, thank you. Thank thank you for mentioning that. She made many trips downtown to the, I've forgotten, the consulate or immigration offices. Yeah, she definitely 
definitely helped, you know. Um, yes, yes. So that's um, why the typing, she was able to type the letters. So, you know, she was probably yes. a pretty smart cookie when you think about it. Yes, she was. I think maybe we didn't give her enough credit, you know. Oh, well, um, now she's hearing you. Now she hears you. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And my grandmother... Money who lived with us was such a an, an imposing person, you know, that somehow I think everybody trembled in front of her, including my mother. Well, I bet that was probably a big, the big problem that your mom never was able to overcome was her her mother. Yes, yes, it's hard. Yes, and you yeah, put your hard. foot down. You you were smart enough or knew enough to put your foot down, and your mom understood. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. maybe I did that because my mother didn't put her foot That's down. Exactly. Yes, I totally think so. And I, you learn. It's I've, I've gotten yeah. so smart. I recently interviewed a woman, a specialist on mother-daughter conflicts, and everything is passed down from the mother. So your mom was dealing with her overbearing mother, and then you <laughs> learned from your mom to not repeat, not repeat it. So thank you for saying that. I, that's very insightful. I never thought of that. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it's important for women to understand. And the other thing is that you do the best that you can with what you have. And what was the other? There was another great expression. If you never had it, how do you know what to do with it? Meaning, if you didn't have a good role model in a mother, how do you mm-hmm. know then to be a to be a good mom? Mm-hmm. So it can it can be complicated. Yeah, it's complicated. My listeners are very smart. Here, I should have listened to my mother, and I want them to understand a little bit more about what your background is, the work that you did before BC, the music, the teaching. Oh, okay, okay. Um, well, going back to okay, graduated from high school when I was seventeen, and then I went to. Radcliffe, which is now Harvard. I mean, all the classes were at Harvard. Uh, and I majored in art history, actually. And um, then it's very hard to get a job in that. I mean, you could get a, what you could do is be a secretary for like $40 a week. Um, after I got married, at first I, I didn't work. I was fortunate that I didn't have to work because my husband was an architect and we had enough money that didn't have to, although I was I was his secretary. I did all his typing and billing and putting away the blueprints and all that. Um, but I loved being a mother. I loved having the little children. It was just so much fun. We did, we, we made puppet theaters and we did all kinds of stuff. Um, gymnastics in the living room and uh, <laughs> it, was, it, it was quite that was the best period really um, how many then, children do you have I have four mm. so um, the youngest one we adopted from Korea <clears throat> um, he's half Korean and half Caucasian um, it was at the time when people had a lot of children and I was all gung-ho, you know, to have another child. And Stan said, oh, well, you know, there's so many children in the world that don't have mothers, we should adopt one. 
So that's what we did. And um, everybody was very happy with Kim, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I started taking voice lessons. Uh, actually, not till I was in my 30s. I, I went to laundry school and took voice lessons and then decided to go to New England Conservatory. And I got a master's there in vocal pedagogy. And then I started this opera workshop, which was, I think, uh, gave me a lot of self-confidence. Because before that, I had a real inferiority complex. I mean, all the time that I was at Harvard, I really felt very inferior. I still was the refugee. I still had an accent. And people were... Nobody talked about the Holocaust at that time anyway, you know. They would just say, oh, where are you from, you know? And you'd say, Vienna, oh, okay, and that was it. That was it. Oh, that's uncomfortable. Yeah, Yeah. and um, so, you know, there were all these girls, these Yankee girls with a lot of money, you know. At Harvard. Yeah. I didn't live in the dorm. I was a commuter because my parents couldn't afford the dorm. But I was very relieved, totally relieved to live at home. You know, because I don't think I could have dealt with, with uh, that, at that point, with the college rah-rah stuff, you know. But, um, so I think my self-esteem or something didn't come about till I ran the opera workshop. Um, because even, you know, after I got married, I would kind of hide behind Stan. <laughs> you know, people would ask me what I did, and I said, well, I'm just, I'm just a housewife. Oh, you know? my gosh. Yeah. No more yeah. of that. No more yeah. of that. Uh, no more of that, but also the days, you know. So... Yeah, the opera workshop was a real learning experience for me. And at the same time, I started to teach voice at the All Newt Music School. And that's, that's where I ran the opera workshop. I got married in uh, 1952, yeah, after I came back from Italy, yes. I met Stan, I always knew I wanted to marry an architect, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when he was he was just finishing up architecture school, and also he played the violin, mm. and also he had a car. So wow, uh, you hit the trifecta! I, I, really, and I was working as a waitress at the time, and I didn't have my bicycle, and he gave me a ride home. So that, that was the beginning of that. What um, was it about an architect that you felt you needed to marry? <laughs> oh yes, I, I always wanted to be an architect. Oh, that's so, so neat. Um, yeah, now I live in a house that he designed. You know, it's just lovely. I bet it's beautiful. And then I started teaching at Boston College in the music department in 1990. And uh, the way it worked was that the students would come for private lessons to my house because it only takes about 10 minutes to walk up from Boston College and um, I also had private students at the same time and I taught a voice class at BC. What I miss most though is uh, the contact with the students because I really loved, you know, had a good relationship with the kids and 
you know, to always have them over to the house for pizza party or something. Oh, I can so, imagine how much fun you are to be with. Yeah, but also <laughs> have to tell you that one of, uh, you know, one of our um, reasons or excuses for building a house when we, after we had been married only for three years was that the house was going to be open for guests. And my husband was a very excellent violinist, and so he was the first violinist in the string quartet. And we had open house every other Wednesday, and people came to listen. And I have a guest book. I, well, I'm now on my sixth guest book, but uh, a couple of years ago I counted how many people had been in our house, and I stopped when it came to 14,500. No way. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Oh. So, so I've always had concerts here. And so uh, even now after Stan, Stan died 10 years ago, I gave his... Well, this isn't so much about the mothers now. I shouldn't be talking. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, after, I, I knew that Stan's violin needed to be played. I found a young man through some other through some friends. He, he was at the Berkeley College of Music. He's, he's from uh, Jordan. His name is Lace, mm-hmm. and he's fantastic. He he now concertizes all over the world. He has my husband's violin. Oh, that's beautiful story! What a beautiful story! Yes, yes it's wonderful. My guest is Honey Myers, and she is telling her story in a book called My Two Cities, written by Robin Mayer Stein, and it's about her family's experience leaving Vienna and immigrating to the United States, to Boston. Can I ask your age? I know I'm not supposed to ask a woman her age, but you have a lot to be proud of. Do you give your age? I just just turned 90. (laughs) And you're going to go climb a mountain. I was eight in 1938, right? I know, but I don't like to bring it up unless it's okay with the guest. And you're, you're, you have plans <laughs> to go climb a couple of mountains. I think I better well, get my act together here. Yeah, I really want to uh, climb Mount Lafayette one more time. The first time I climbed it, I was 15. And um, it's a special mountain in the White Mountains. And, um, yeah, I don't know if I can make it, but... I did last summer, so I should be able to do it again. You did it last summer? Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. In 2012, my younger daughter and I uh, went to Nepal. We we trekked in the lower Everest for 18 days, 16 days. Are you with me? I'm here. I'm just holding my breath because you're incredible. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was that was was the experience of a lifetime. We didn't go. We didn't go to the summit of Mount Everest. No, no, no. Okay, no, no, no. I don't. You went to Nepal and you went hiking. That's that's incredible. Yeah, we went up to the Buddhist monastery, Tangbocha Buddhist monastery. Wonderful, probably beautiful. It was amazing. It was something, yeah, it was my most amazing trip ever. Yeah. I bet. Oh, my goodness gracious. Honey Myers, I can't thank you enough. And that I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Your book, 
my two cities. Your two cities are Boston and Vienna, correct? Yes. That you love. And it's a book written for children to make sure that they um, have an idea of, of what life was like for some. And it, and it should definitely be read by all. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have one more question for you, Hani. Are you who you are today because of or in spite of your mother? That's hard. I think part of each, you know. I think I think in spite of my mother, um, maybe more in spite of my mother. But now that I'm looking back on it, I do have to be grateful to her for the music, you know. So, a little bit of both. A little bit of both, I think. Hmm. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Well, thank you for asking all those good questions. Hani Myers. I love your first name. Is that short for anything? Hani, H-A-N-N-I? Well, I guess it used to be Hannah. But but when I came, they they called me Hannah. And it was so ugly. And at home, I was called Hani. So I changed it. Oh, I love it. Hani. Yeah. Hani Myers. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's lovely talking to you. Thank you so much, Hani. Yeah. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. For those who don't know exactly who Hani's husband was, Stanley Myers was a well-established and highly respected modernist architect in the Boston area. He received his master's in architecture from the Harvard School of Design, and Stan also studied the violin at the Juilliard School of Music in New York. I'm Jackie Tantillo, and you've been listening to another edition of Should Have Listened to My Mother. What a sweetheart. Hani Myers, again, her book, My Two Cities, written by Robin Mayer Stein. And Hani was gracious enough to share her story about her childhood and her immigration to Massachusetts. I'll be back next week. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.